Hi, I'm Tim Smith, a professional support lawyer in the pensions team at Herbert Smith Freehills. Welcome back to part two of our pension policy discussion with Steve Webb, former pensions minister and now director of policy at Royal London. Steve, we've been talking about pension freedoms, which obviously were all wrapped up with the pensions tax regime. Looking at the tax system more generally, do you think that the pensions tax regime is fit for purpose? I don't. I think it's evolved in a horribly piecemeal transfer short of a few hundred million this year, where can you find it sort of way? And what we really need is a, a big picture review. I think to be fair to George Osborne, not something I say very often, um, he tried in the 2015, he tried and then backed off. Um, but what we really need is a destination and then a period of stability. Because all we get is once or twice a year now, masses of speculation, is this the budget annual allowances cut and all the rest of it. So what do we need to do for the future? I think we need a simpler system. So, for example, on the annual allowance side of things, we have a limit and then a different limit for higher earners and another limit for people who've taken a bit of taxable cash. It's just horrific. People are fined if they've taken a bit of taxable cash and don't tell another pension scheme about it. It's just crazy. So a simple annual limit I have no problem with. Um, Arguably, the lifetime allowances are necessary. It's a bit odd to limit people on the way in and on the way out. I can see why the Treasury do it, because it's just more tax from different people. Um, but I don't like the fact that, you know, you could have stopped saving into a pension, but you've invested it well, so it grows, it goes past the limit, and then you get an extra tax bill for investing your money well. That doesn't seem right to me. So a, a simpler annual limit, perhaps lower if necessary, um, ideally no lifetime limit or some transition to a much softer lifetime regime. But the, the crucial thing, I think, has to be simplicity. And too often the proposals for reform actually complexity, things like flat rate relief sounds beguilingly simple. But actually, once you think about how it would work in practice, it would just be a nightmare. Mm. An issue that's receiving a lot of attention increasingly from policymakers, regulators, activist groups uh, is the whole subject of kind of ESG investing, uh, with a particular focus on things like climate change. Um, and, and obviously, it's something that trustees, pension provider asset managers need to be paying increasing attention to. Um, what's your perspective on that and, and the role that trustees, providers have to play in addressing those issues. Well, I had a very interesting experience with this whole agenda when I was the pensions minister. So it was during the coalition years, you got a Lib Dem uh, at DWP on pensions. Ed Davey was a business minister and part uh, for business, very sympathetic to action in this area. And we had real trouble getting anybody interested, getting regulators interested. It was so low down their agenda. Now, I think that's changed, but progress is glacial. You know, the DWP have moved from, well, you know, you can have a policy to, you have to have a policy and tell people what it is in a report nobody reads type territory. You know, if this, if we've got a climate emergency, if these things are really serious, first of all, government has to take a lead. They can't just sort of say to each individual trustees, well, you make your own mind up, we don't much care. You know, it's got to be a much stronger sign. But I think trustees need clarity. Um, some of them are very nervous, you know, the, the accusation that they pursued some other agenda rather than maximising the pensions of the people that they're looking after. Now, I think that trustees can go a long way in this agenda. Um, very often, you know, you look at the companies you'd stop investing in, for example, if that's the way you approached it, and you can see that many of these companies don't appear to have much of a long-term future. And actually, sound investment is taking account of these things. So it's, it's no longer this kind of, you know, what you might call tree-hugging type approach that critics would use. This is absolutely mainstream. And I think the sooner we accelerate progress in this area, the better. And what, what do you think the role of asset managers is in this space? When I talk to asset managers, they very often say, nobody asks us. 
that's an exaggeration. Obviously, you know, people like the local government pension scheme and others have started to ask these questions. But the asset managers do tend to say, actually, we are managing other people's money. And if the people who come to us with money to manage are not insisting that we're taking a ESG approach, for example, are we right to just say, well, we're going to do this anyway? We don't much care. So I think the asset owners are key here. Asset managers clearly need to offer these, uh, these these expertise and to develop it and to promote it but I think it's not it's not just one player in this we need the trustees to have more confidence we need government to take the lead we need the asset owners to be pressing the asset managers to do more mm. and, and just taking a step back kind of more generally uh, we may well have a new pensions minister in place shortly um, day one they get to their desk what, what would you see as their priorities we're assuming there will be a pensions bill coming down the track um, and some of the things it seems to me have got momentum and are moved in the right direction. So the pensions dashboard is pretty much universally supported. We need legislation to make that happen and to drive it forward, in my view, more vigorously than has happened so far. There's talk of legislation for collective DC schemes, which I think could be a good part of the pensions landscape and having got this far, let's see them through. I would like to see the pensions bill have a regulatory framework for DB consolidation and there are murmurs that that might get cut. Well, that would be quite worrying if that was true. But also, I think, stepping back a little bit and just sort of saying, what's the biggest single problem we've got? And in my view, it is millions of people not saving enough for their retirement. And therefore, a focus on things like getting the 8% to the whole of earnings, getting that 8 up to 10, nudging people to do more. I think that is the single most important thing that you can do. And a lot of these other things, you know, dashboard will help, CDC might help certain people in certain sectors, DB consolidation will help some others. But the big number one issue is, you know, well over 10 million people not saving enough, and that's got to be the key. Would you support calls for a new pension commission? I find myself very torn on this sort of cross-party great and the good idea, because clearly Adair Turner, the original Pensions Commission, did a very good job. They were very politically astute, they got buy-in, and auto-enrolment wouldn't have happened without them. So clearly there is precedent there. But there's also precedent for these things being a complete failure. So something like social care, you know, we've had Royal Commissions, the Dilnot Commission, various others. 20 years on, we're no further on, because these are intensely political issues. So I think all party consensus, experts, the great and the good, perhaps on technical issues, but pensions is about, pensions policy is about which generation gets the money, who pays the tax, what the you know tax relief rules are, how long we have to go on working for. And actually, I'm someone who stood for election. I don't stand for election to then hand over my decision-making power to a group of clever people in a darkened room to come and tell me what the answer is. I have values, I have priorities, I've stood for them, I want to implement them. So I think long-termism, yes, get the Treasury to be long-termist on tax relief, that would be a huge achievement. I just don't buy the argument that if, if enough people have enough goodwill, sit in enough meetings, they'll come up with the answer and then we'll have a settled consensus for 20 years. Uh, I've read recently that something that the new government might look at doing is consolidating government departments. And uh, what one area that was looked at was essentially DWP merging into Treasury. I know you've talked about the relationship between DWP and Treasury before. Is that something you think would be a good idea? Certainly closer joint working on pensions between DWP and Treasury would be an excellent idea. You know, um, literally, you've got a government department with the word pensions in its title that isn't responsible for the main levers of pensions policies, such as tax relief. So closer working, absolutely. But I think it's incredibly unlikely that a new Prime Minister who wants lots of patronage 
you know, wants to thank his mates, basically, he's going to abolish whole government departments and reduce the size of the government. I mean, A, that's less patronage. I know I'm sounding cynical here, but this is the way it works. Less patronage and, of course, less payroll votes. Because, of course, the more MPs who are ministers, bag carriers and all the rest of it, the fewer rebels you're going to have. And in a parliament, when the government has a majority of like one or two, every vote counts. So, yes, maybe the Brexit department will be abolished at some point. Maybe we don't need a department for international trade, separate to business, that kind of stuff at the margins. But wholesale merging of departments. And the other thing is, is it 18 months of disruption? You know, new logos, new letterheads, all that kind of stuff. You know, offices. So much energy goes into these mergers when they should actually be getting on with governing. Yeah. And I, I'm afraid I've got to mention the, the B words. Uh, so Brexit and Boris. Uh, we'll come to Brexit first. Um, what do you make of what's going on? And where do you think we're going to end up? I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. But my only caveat is it's you get what they call confirmation bias. You know, you hear stuff that you already agree with and that reinforces your view and so on. And, you know, I, you know, guess given my political heritage, I'd rather we didn't leave. That's my personal view. Roland doesn't have a collective view on this, but that's my personal view. And so I can see a scenario where Boris Johnson wins, as I'm sure he will. He doesn't have time to get a deal before the 31st of October. He tries to do no deal. There isn't a majority in Parliament for that. Then he goes to the country. We then get a Labour minority government that offers a second referendum to form a coalition or deal. And that votes to reverse the process. I think that's a plausible scenario and there are plenty of others. So it's far from clear to me that it will even happen. Mm. And you mentioned there the possibility of a minority, minority Labour government. Is that your expectation if we have a general election or what would you expect to happen? I think the key unknown for the next general election is the relationship between the Conservative Party and Nigel Farage. If they can come to an accommodation then they've got a chance. But if they're fighting each other for Brexit votes, then as happened with something like the Peterborough by-election, which was a marginal Labour Tory seat, the Labour vote went down in that by-election, but they still won because the Conservative vote went down by more. So you can imagine a scenario where the Brexit vote split, Labour win seats in England on that basis, still looking very weak in Scotland, could lose remainery seats in London to Lib Dems, but still end up the largest party in the minority. I think what they probably do then is offer either a Scottish referendum to the SNP or a Brexit referendum to the Remainers on condition that they then vote for a couple of John McDonnell budgets. So that would be my guess. Thank you. This is quite speculative. Yeah. And could we see a return of Steve Webb, yeah. MP? <laughs> I have no plans to stand for Parliament. I mean, I was an MP for 18 years, and I, you know, it's a great privilege and a minister for five. Um, but uh, I think the House Commons is getting on quite well without me. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Steve. Appreciate yeah. your thoughts.